Every year, dozens of journalists are killed just because of what they do. Even in a so-called Western country like Greece, the crime reporter Yorgos Karaivas was shot three years ago with his death still being unresolved. Matt Sarneki is a documentary filmmaker at the Reporters Network OCCRP. His last two films are about killings of journalists. Killing Pavel, about the murder of Pavel Sherman in Ukraine, and the killing of a journalist, about the killing of Jan Kuciak, who was investigating organized crime, and his fiancée in Slovakia. I'm Anastasia Mumjaki, and I met Matt just before the screening of his last film at the International Journalism Week of IMED here in Athens. We talked about the people's trust, the corruption of power, and why he would never again do a film about a journalist being killed. Okay, so Matt, welcome at Small Talk, and thank you for being here. Two of your movies are about journalists that are uh, that have been killed. Mm-hmm. And h- how hard is it to document such things, the killing of colleagues? Well, first of all, yes, I've done two films about the murder of journalists. Uh, I want to make clear that I this is not my beat. I will never do a film about this uh, again. It just happened by coincidence. I mean, more of it after I was successful in making a documentary about uh, the murdered journalist Pavel Sheremet in Kiev mm-hmm. in 2016. Some of his colleagues and friends thought I could help on uh, the uh, looking into the murder of Jan Kuciak and his fiance in 2018. Um, it's more of a I, I, you can't say no when someone asked you for help, but uh, I, I don't want to do it again. There are other why. Do, uh, it's it's like do you want to have a rep? I mean, like a, I don't want to have a reputation of uh, whenever a journalist got, dies. Oh, call <laughs> Matt Sarnecki. You know, that's that's not. You don't want to be that person, and uh, you know, you want to. I, I want to look at things that are important, but don't have the same uh, depth of uh, sadness that goes along with uh, the murder of a journalist. Uh, I. I, I Uh, I don't want to have to relive it with the families and the colleagues and going over and over and over this again. It's it's a very hard for them, and uh, it's it's not easy as a human being to repeat this over and over and over. And there are plenty of subjects in uh, there mm-hmm. are plenty of other subjects in the world of an, uh, organized crime and corruption to look at. Well, both of those films, and uh, I'm talking about Killing Pavel, which uh, was released in 2018, and The Killing of a Journalist which is released this year. And um, I mean, I would like you to tell us a little bit about both stories, uh, but also it's it's crazy because they're both stories, they have to do with some, um, with very sensitive matters and with matters that might put you at risk to talk about. And I, I wanted to know if you were uh, scared or afraid in any uh, in any part of this process And uh, what does your family say about uh, you know working on these kind of stories? Do they like? Are they afraid? Mm-hmm. Well, these these are very, two very different stories. Uh, the case with Sheremet and the case with Kutsiak. They might not seem so when you're walking watching the film, but with the case of Sheremet, uh, we the alleged masterminds had not been apprehended, and we started identifying people that could be involved in the crime. This was before the publication. So this was a video investigation and the stakes felt a lot higher because we didn't know uh, 
if there was involvement by the Ukrainian security services in this murder, did they know what we know? And there was a lot of paranoia, um, uh, just walking down the street, checking into hotel rooms. I mean, there is that sense that, you know, what, what is that knock on the door? Going to this last documentary of Kutsiak, it felt very, very different. One, this is in the European Union, and for all its faults, um, you do feel have a, de more, a better degree of security in the European Union. Two, the alleged mastermind and his crew had already been uh, apprehended and charged by the time we really got into this documentary. Um, but to, so it, it, I felt a, a lot more comfortable. But to answer your question, yeah, my, my mom does ask that question and people ask this a lot and I always tell her, mom, I'm, I'm probably like five or six. Uh, if they're gonna uh, make a list and figure out who needs to go in order for this problem to go away, they're the journalists on the ground that are the really courageous ones that are you know, knocking on the doors and uh, asking the tough questions. They're the ones that deserve the, uh, uh, all the accolades and the awards for doing this work. Um, I'm just working with them to bring this to, a, to the video medium. And I, 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 I think once it's on TV, it's probably too late for mm. them to do much. And I don't feel too much at risk. So you have a kind of immunity because you are like uh, releasing it and... Uh... It's a, to some extent, you know, once it's out, what can you do? Um, but every case is different. You know, every, uh, every criminal is different. Um, sometimes we say it's the, you know, the, I don't want to say that this is a blanket truth, but actually the very intelligent cr criminals are the ones you have to uh, worry about least because they know the consequences of... Uh, harming a journalist. It's the, uh, you know, the, the criminals with probably a lesser degree of education that just don't give a shit that you might um, uh, have to worry about because they don't even understand the concept of what journalism is. And, uh, you know, they, you, they might equate you with an organized crime rival. Mm -hmm. And uh, your death obviously might, uh, the death of a journalist in the EU might be, uh, receive more attention or uh, you know, become, become something bigger uh, than just if your average Joe criminal were killed. Yeah. Well, so tell us about OCCRP. You are a member of this network of journalists. What do they do and how did you start working on such cases? Oh, it's a, it's a difficult question, but it's a long, uh, it takes a little bit of time. And I'm always told after I explain what OCCRP is that I didn't explain it correctly. But for <laughs> the, the way that I look at it is um, it's a large consortium of investigative centers, uh, mostly in Central and Eastern Europe. Um, now it's grown a bit. It's in Africa, Latin America. Uh, we used to have partners in Russia, but uh, due to the situation, that's, that's no longer the case. Um, and the original idea of it was we would have all these, uh, indivi these individual centers across Central and Eastern Europe. They would collaborate on cross-border stories of crime and organized corruption. Because the way crime works now is it's, it's not a, in a single country, it's transnational. If you want to launder money, you don't necessarily do it in your own country. You know, you'll rent some property in another country uh, that, uh, and uh, that company is going to have a director in you know, the yes. Bahamas or something else. And it was an idea like, let's tackle organized crime across borders and work together. The founder of OCCRP, or one of the founders, his name is Paul Radu. 
he's from Romania. And uh, he shared the Daniel Pearl Investigative Journalism Re uh, Award with one of my professors uh, at Berkeley, Berkeley, and her name was Mimi uh, Chikarova. And she knew that I already spoke Romanian. And she said, hey, I should put, let me put you together with this guy named uh, Paul. He's a really interesting guy. He's doing some interesting things. And I met with Paul, and the idea was to start a video department could see that uh, these were a lot of great stories that uh, just had no coverage in the, the, you know, let's say for a Western audience, you know, the, these were almost a story like this, what happened in Slovakia with Jan Kuciak. You know, people in Europe don't even remember or know that this happened. Or, uh, um, so it was working with this group, these uh, journalists that were working at these various investigative centers to find these great stories and to bring them to life in video. And how does it feel that these stories are not so uh, well known in Europe? I mean, uh, seeing the movie, The Killing of a Journalist, one could, could feel like, you know, this is crazy what happened in Slovakia. Well, I, I think that's the response when people see it there. It's more of like, what the fuck? This, what the this, fuck? this happened? Exactly. How, how did I not know about this? Um, I think there was a similar reaction to the film Collective, which took place in Romania, yes, yes. Um, where, you know, you saw this uh, hor horrific event that led to, uh, you know, a, a reckoning within the uh, establishment and it brought down the government and just blatant corruption that made you, I mean, almost like laugh and cry at the same time. And this is another story with uh, very different in, in how it's told and very different with the consequences at the end. But I think that's one of the important things about film and documentary and uh, looking at, you know, uh, conferences like this that allow us to, you know, spread the word and show these stories. Yeah. I think one of the problems with this story is it took place over the course of, this is, four, we're talking about like from the day of the murder to now, it's almost been five years. And it's taking all these small bits that, uh, you know, developed over time and uh, bringing them together to show kind of a wild story. Uh, of what what the fuck happened in this country, but it also starts much earlier than that. If we want to talk about like where, what are the corrupt innards or what are the corrupt beginnings of this, uh, you know, this captured state, it starts, you know, much earlier. But I think from your experience also from OCCRP, I think you could answer that. There is this general feeling that you know all governments are corrupt and uh, there is corruption everywhere, and all governments and all politicians are the same. So, and also you mentioned, somebody mentions that in your film as well, that as, as far as we have food on the table, we don't care if they are uh, if they are liars or if they steal or if they have connections with the mafia. How do you feel when you see this kind of mentality? Well, I mean, that's one of the saddest, <laughs> it's one of the saddest truths on earth. Um, but I, 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 and I don't think it's uh, uh, unique to Central or Eastern Europe. Um, when we look at the rise of these uh, populist governments that are doing some really crazy things, uh, you know, with Bolsonaro and uh, Latin America and Trump in the United States, and uh, there are plenty of examples, you know, with Orban and uh, the European Union and Russia. Uh, it's these these are global uh, trends that, to me, are very very sad when people can uh, forget what, 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 what makes democracy and what makes, you know, uh, freedom something worth fighting for. Uh, when we've come to a situation where uh, 
forget values, forget uh, having a moral compass, forget uh, um, what's right or wrong. Let's favor stability uh, because it's easy. Um, but I also sympathize with that at the same time because, uh, uh, you know, when you, when you need to put food on your table, that's survival. And that yeah. comes first for a lot of people. But do you feel like, I mean, there are many stories that uh, we hear uh, in, in, in many different countries that uh, governments and the people in positions in power, they have uh, connections and um, they communicate uh, with, uh, with, with mafia. Do you think that this is the norm? This is like in the nature of power in, in some way or... I, I really, I really, Am I too pessimistic? I, I really hope not. The problem is I'm a little bit pessimistic. Uh, no, I think there are good people and there are uh, bad people. Um, I don't want to lump it into like black and white. Uh, what I think is interesting about this story, uh, in particular in Slovakia, is uh, it's what one of the protagonists says, you know, we always kind of assumed it. We always, there was this kind of conspiracy theory. I, I don't want to say conspiracy theory. There were so many rumors Uh, and, uh, you know, circumstantial pieces of evidence that this was happening, that the oligarchs were basically uh, hand, working hand-in-hand hand with politicians to, uh, let's say, rule the country in a way. When this happened, when in the middle of the documentary, for those who haven't seen it, uh, the text messages of the alleged mastermind are, are leaked, and we can see that he was uh, collaborating with uh, many high-up officials politicians, judges, and uh, members of the police, it was like, shit, it's really as bad as we thought. Everything, yeah, even, uh, even was worse. Like, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's even worse. It's like, wow. Like, I, they, you, you couldn't even think it was that bad. Um, it's, it's, it's tremendously uh, sad. Uh, I hope that's not the norm. I haven't seen evidence that that's the norm. But I think it speaks to the importance of having strong democratic institutions that don't allow for um, you know, uh, uh, systems like this to, to develop. Sure. Mm -hmm. But still, you in OCCRP, I mean, you can see that in, um, in the case of Pavel Serement, you have done uh, a forensic uh, evidence uh, um, investigation that, that was almost like police work. So one could, one could say that you do the work that the police should have done. And how does this feel? Well, I think it's... You know, it is supposed to be a check on government. That's what journalism is. That's one role that it's supposed to have. So if the police don't do their job, of course, it's uh, our job to do their job to show it's possible. I mean, and to elicit the proper outrage when it's like, hey, what, hey, in the case of Sheremet, why didn't the police do all this work? Why are journalists doing it? Um, yeah, we, we, I think in that case, we kind of served as a check on the police. And uh, a lot has changed in Ukraine since that time. Yeah, um, of course. So it's, it's hard to talk about that case now that we have uh, war. But I think uh, I would hope that uh, some of the work we did did uh, uh, elicit change inside the police department. You're doing a great job with OCCRP. And there are many people, many journalists, like at least 40 uh, journalists have been killed uh, since the beginning of the year, according to RSF. And, you know, it makes me feel like, is it, is it uh, worth it? Because 
people still doesn't trust us journalists. And we have also this research that uh, has been uh, released during our uh, journalism week here. First of all, why journalists are a target? Well, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very, very big question. <laughs> we don't have the time, um, think. No, I, I think. No, uh, I think it goes back to the kind of institutions you have. If, if there is not going to be any response to killing a journalist, it can become convenient to kill a journalist. If we look at uh, Russia over the past 10 years, for example, uh, many investigative journalists have been uh, killed and the alleged mastermind has never been identified. Um, so why do people kill journalists in Russia? Um, because there's, uh, it's, there's no revenge, there's no impunity, there's no uh, reason not to if they're a thorn in your side. Um, I but, think by, but why are we a target? Why are we a target? Because we're a threat to power. Hmm. Of course, that's. I, I, I don't think there's. A, it, I don't think there's a debt about that. But the point that I was saying that happened in Russia. In the EU, uh, we have uh, two or three. The, the most uh, prominent investigative journalists that were murdered in the last few years were Daphne in Malta and Jan in Slovakia. Um, at least in those cases, the alleged mastermind has been identified and charged which actually speaks to the power of democratic institutions. Um, because now, whenever someone wants to kill a journalist uh, who has some intelligence, they're going to realize, well, the alleged mastermind has at least been charged inside the European Union. Um, like I said, but every case is also different. I said, if you have someone who's not really thinking about consequences so much and doesn't realize that, uh, you know, killing a journalist is different than killing a, a rival, you know, uh, they're, 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 there's just too much variation. Um, but going back to the point, I think uh, strong civil society, strong democratic values, strong rule of law are deterrence to yes. uh, killing a journalist. And then why do people don't trust us? I mean, the figures say that uh, uh, the audience doesn't trust journalism. And they, they, I mean, well, I mean <laughs> is, is it like a paradox there? I mean, it, it's, it's so, so wholeheartedly, sadly ironic. Um, well, I, I think you have to look at, uh, you, you know, um, there are a lot of politicians out there that say journalists are the enemy of the people. And if you look at who's saying that, you know, oftentimes they, they, they themselves have a history that, uh, uh, you know, sometimes overlaps with organized crime uh, or crimes in general. They, they don't care about, uh, like I said, the rule of law or the vibrancy of democracy or any of these things. They care about uh, themselves and re-election. Uh, so demonizing journalism and if journalism is not respected, it's, it's not going to, uh, you know, uh, hurt their fortune in any way. Uh, when people don't know what the truth is, it's actually going to help them. You know, uh, when people just say, I don't know, it's too complicated, everyone's corrupt. That is the goal of a corrupt politician that is actively working on a disinformation campaign to just uh, assume that everyone's corrupt. The truth is impossible to, te to detect. Uh, there's not enough evidence and therefore we can't know the truth. So it's, it's just easiest back how it was when it was stable. Mm -hmm. um, that goes back to answer your question about why people want uh, stability. Um, well, they remember stability uh, uh, they have a nostalgia for it, and they don't know uh, exactly what's happening now. Um, sure. You know, I, I was talking with a, a Russian colleague, and, you know, uh, we're, we're still on friendly terms despite everything, and she's 
you know, we, we send reports back and forth and she's like, I just don't know what to believe anymore. And that's really, really, really scary. You know, when we're talking about like Russians, when they hear about Bucha and they say, oh, that was staged or I mean, the story keeps on changing. It's like they, all that they hear is that it was staged by the West. Yes. And uh, it's hard for us to say, like, look at all of this various evidence that we're putting in forth you. I mean, it's, it's completely clear that this took place. It's like, oh, but there are these other stories that say, look at this. Did you see that person moved? Um, it's just, it's just, it's not 100% clear. I'm quoting them. And then it's just like so, uh, uh, it's, it's so sad that people can't work with the best available evidence. But that is the uh, goal of, you know, a dictator that wants to uh, retain power. Disinformation allows people just not to be sure. And uh, maybe... Uh, it's impossible for, for them. It's impossible, to, it's impossible to know, so who cares? Mm-hmm. I'll go on with my life. Well, thank you for this. We wish you good luck in everything, and uh, we look forward to, to the screening of the movie. No, thank you so much for having me. The interview was conducted in person at the International Journalism Week 2022, organized by IMED in Athens. Sound design and mixing by Aris Athanasopoulos. For more audio content by IMED, please visit podcast.imed.org.